Hello and welcome to the Respectfully Podcast. I'm Nikki Pope, your host for this hairdressing conversation. My guest for this edition is salon business expert Liz McEwen. She's Dublin-based and is a business coach, mentor, trainer and speaker specifically for the hair and beauty industry. She's the author of a book called 30 Days to Beauty Business Success and I've invited her to join me and explain what she means by that and whether it really is achievable. I'm looking forward to hearing all her advice and ideas. First English person who's ever said it right, Nikki. Well, I was a big fan of Les McCoon from Base to Rollers, so oh, I've been saying so his surname for years. <laughs> he was my favourite. I used to pretend in school I was related to him. Did you? <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Respectfully Podcast Studio. Liz, nice to see you. Nice to be here and thank you for having me. And you brought the sunshine. I brought the sunshine <laughs> at last. That's long overdue at this stage, isn't it? It is a bit. And you brought the sunshine from Dublin. From Dublin, yes, from Ireland. This is the first time I've met you and I'm sure for a lot of listeners it might be the first time mm-hmm. that, that we are um, talking about what you do for the industry, what you do for hairdressing and beauty. So give us a little, you know, how do you introduce yourself when people say in a party, you know, uh, and what do you do? So I basically summarise it by saying I specialise in salon turnaround. So that's really what I do. And then people say, oh, so you're the Gordon Ramsay of the industry, are you? And I say, yeah, something like that. But I don't swear as much. So that's that's really what I do. I'm a coach and a trainer. And I had a quite a, you know, a number of years working in the salon spa industry um, prior to um, prior to starting Salon Business Expert. And in about, I'm doing this since about 2006, where, where one day my own my rep or business development manager said to me, Liz, I wish you would just teach all the other salons I go into to do what you do. And I think when you work in a salon, you're so isolated sometimes. And I remember looking at her and saying, but does everybody not do what I do? And she said, no, none of my accounts. No, I think it's a really interesting point because we don't um, see, as a hairdresser, <coughs> or as a salon owner, why would you network when you're running your own business, I suppose? I, I, hopefully we've got better at it over I the years. So. I think yeah. some of the brands are quite good at encouraging or giving opportunities, really, and we have some good industry bodies. So Yes. Yeah, so that that's yeah, that's how it started. Yeah, she said, and sometimes when I bump into her now, I say, now nah, look at the mess you got me into. Oh, yeah, yeah, so she said, yeah, and then I thought, well, okay, and, and I was ready to sort of move on to the, move on to the next thing. And then I thought, well, I'll be far too bossy. You know, I'll just be going in telling people what, what they should do. So then I trained as a, as, as a coach, a business coach, and then I practiced that skill. And then, then I came back into the industry and I started working. And then people started asking me to take groups and teams. And so then I trained as a trainer. So I'm a, I'm a coach and a trainer. Right. And I never really feel it's my job to come into a salon or a business and say, this is what you need to do. I think it's my job to figure out what people want from their businesses and help them get from where they are to where they want to be. So it's just evolved over the years since then. So for a long time, it was really just going into salons, turning turning them around. Then I started working with large chains of salons. Then I started working with the brands because the brands sell into the into the salons. Right, so that's a way that people can, can get yeah. to you. Yeah. Were you actually a hairdresser then by profession no, ever my, my technical background is beauty so I'm a beauty and holistic therapist but I would have trained in business before I ever went into beauty 
then I went into beauty, then I had a health club, I had a distribution company, I had two day spas. I actually brought the first spray tan machine into Ireland. Did you? Like How car exciting. Wash, you know, like near like Ross and, and friends. <laughs> and then I wound all that down and had a very small, small salon with just three, three rooms and really focused on increasing how to develop a process where retail became very much part of the concept and I got my retail to 70% of my turnover which is why that that BDM said one day I wish you would teach other people to do what you do right and for a long time when I started this business I called myself beauty business expert because I felt that was my technical background but then the hair care the hair companies started to come to me then yeah so I've actually been working with some of the hair companies since about 2012 2013 and do you think there is a difference between the hair and beauty there's a big difference and it took me it did take me a while to get my head around the difference between hair and beauty and I think there's there's two fundamental differences that I observe. We're all we're all looking after clients and we all want the best for clients. And while there's a synergy, I know if I'm working in, in beauty or spa or that sort of environment, I'm much more challenged than if I'm in a hair salon because in a hair salon, I can see and I can hear what's going on. Right. In, in beauty, I can't. And then I do know, so that would be one main difference. And the second difference that I notice is just the the thinking is different because I find hair more, much more creative. Right. And beauty much more methodical, if that makes right. sense. So I think I think the thinking with hair is far more creative. Right, because because every service is arguably completely, or could be completely different from what you've done before. Yeah. So whereas I, applying... Yeah. You follow the steps. Yeah, and yeah. You follow There's a the process steps. to follow yes. in, a, in a more obvious way, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So you have years like you know 10 years plus experience of doing the the coaching and mm. the the training yeah that you do now so how how has things changed is it easy to say what's massively changed like obviously in the last three years covid's made a massive difference but trying to not focus on that at this point in the conversation in the last 10 years has technology made a big difference or has the role of the bigger brands made a difference or the standards is there have um, there been changes in law or or not um i think we're very lucky insofar as this is an industry and a sector that's forever evolving like you never say that's it now we all we all know where we are and where we're placed um I think there's been loads of changes and, and I and I think there will continue to be. I always notice right down through my career when there's a demand from the consumer, there's a shortage of staff. When we have plenty of staff, there's nothing to do from the consumer. So yeah. I think marrying those two things is always going to be a challenge that when we have the demand, we have the supply as well in, in terms of the demand for services and, and the supply of labour, for want of a better phrase. So I think that's particularly se- seems to be challenging at the moment. I think for me, the biggest change as we emerge from the last three years is that I think if I I phrase it this way in 20 at the end of 2020 so many people said to me you know Liz I'm never going to say I'm only a hairdresser again 
Oh, really? And I got that from so many people. And yeah. I was just, how long am I saying to you, you're never only a hairdresser. Yeah, yeah. You are so important in your clients' lives. And for me, that's the biggest change. That's that it, now yeah. people can own their position in the industry that they are in, in, the, in the world of commerce or in the clients' minds. That you're just so important yeah. to your If client. we can try and get them to translate that into then charging what well, that's it they're worth so because yeah. i think that's been for me i've uh, thought for years and as a lot of people do that it's that sense of pride that is sometimes not there this being proud to be a hairdresser being understanding how important you are but how skilled you are or how you've got there that people find it hard to to do that I know, isn't it? That's so sad that it took a pandemic for people to understand that they're really important in their in their clients' worlds. Yeah. And I think that has in, has completely pivoted for our industry that we are now recognised as one of the most important sectors. In, yeah. In commerce in the world. Yeah. What, what a what a privileged place to be. I know, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I do remember in the first sort of two or three months of the the lockdown when we were sort of stuck at home that there was such anxiety about people doing their own hair at home and this idea that um you know I remember one hairdresser being on a on a TV show and and advocating you know how to use a box dye mm. and people went nuts you know on Facebook groups and you know they've given it away we're never going to get our clients back you're teaching them how to do it but it's that you know believe in yourself that what you do is more than just apply a product that however much people are told how to do it doesn't mean they can do it It doesn't mean they want to do it for themselves it's, it's believing in your client isn't it um i published a book called 30 days to beauty business success a few years ago and in that book i i I have a little phrase, it's not mine, it's from the great American writer, Maya Angelou, that people will forget what you've said, they forget what you've done, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. Brilliant. And I think how we feel when we walk into the hair salon, or how we feel on the way out versus how we felt when on our way in, um, that's all we want. Yeah. And it's a small price to pay for feeling that good. And... Nobody in the world feels right if their hair isn't right. Like if your hair isn't right, you don't feel right. Yeah. You don't feel like facing the world if your hair isn't right. So it's the feel-good factor that we want. And in hair, I can very much talk from a consumer's perspective because that's who I am. I am the client. Mm. So it's that feeling that we want when people give us their full and undivided attention, do everything they can for us, you know, make sure that we're having this when we're having a service. It's just, you know, the, the best yeah. that they can possibly deliver. There's no better feeling. Yeah. And that's I, how you build your business. I think so. And <laughs> I, I find myself quite often saying to people from outside hairdressing, when we talk about, you know, what do I do or what do they, that how emotional hairdressing is. And for a long time, I, you know, hairdressers are emotional people and, and you know, they, they, it's all about feelings and doing business with people that you like and doing business in a way that you like. But equally, to understand that their relationship with the client is emotional, to that it goes beyond the hairdresser. It is the whole arrangement between the client and the salon is an emotional one. The client and the hairdresser is emotional. They'll stay with you if they love how you make them feel. That's and if it. you don't, they'll move. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And clients get bored around the sixth visit. So it's very important that you keep that connection going and you stay helping them to feel really well. And I think um, as a consumer and as a customer, um, there's something quite remarkable about your relationship with your hairstylist because 
you know, they have no, you've no real input into our world. So whatever we talk about, you just have my best interests at heart. Yeah. So this whole thing that I have to get back and, and tell my hairstyle is such and such. Or, and if you think about the journey, like it's, you know, you've what age do you start going to the hairstylist at? And yeah. they're with you every single bit of the way yeah. when you leave school, when you're, when you're getting married, when you're getting divorced, when you're having babies, when you're going to funerals. Yeah. Um, all of that. So, so they have a, they're very, the hairstylist is, the salon is so important in your team of self-care when you're the customer. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, it becomes part of the family story because you'll often go to a salon around something else that's happening in your life because you've got a new job or you're going on holiday or you come back mm. from holiday or you maybe you're unwell and you're, yeah. you've got issues with your hair condition and things. So yeah, no, it is, it's all pervasive. Do you see a difference between, um, well, interesting enough, both countries, perhaps say Ireland and, and you know, England, Scotland, Wales, mm. or do you see a difference between the size business or do you think that we are all dealing with the same questions and the same concerns? I, th I mean, I think there might be differences culturally in, in, in different areas. Um, but no, I think we're all dealing with the same thing at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And things, I was interested to think, you know, we're talking about salons, we're talking about businesses, which is where you would often be placed. But presumably some of the things you will say and help with apply to a freelancer or to somebody running totally. a very, a micro business. Totally, uh, as much yeah, as a literally from the ones, the one operative right through to the huge big chains. Yeah, and it's the same challenges, the same challenges everywhere. And what are, so coming up to, to the here and now, what are the main preoccupations you're finding being presented, say, you know, in the last few months? What are the things that are really challenging or troubling or, or perplexing? There's two things that I'm coming across at the moment, and I think they're very interconnected. One is the shortage of staff. Yeah. And the second is the um, cost of living crisis. They seem to be preoccupying a lot a lot of people in salons at the moment understandably yeah. which i find really odd because you'd think if there was a cost of living crisis and we all needed more money that we wouldn't have a shortage of people wanting to work but evidently we do <laughs> so I find, that, I find that really mystifying mm. you know it's quite hard to explain i guess maybe the one problem will catch up with the other at some point i don't know or or do you think that people really have decided in the last three years because of what's happened that's it i'm hanging up my my scissors or I'm not going to go into that industry I think it always levels out if we look back through history not even just in our sector um you, you know the pandemic was a huge big global economic shift wasn't it and labor markets are always a, a, a bit peculiar for you know for a certain period of time after that I think it, it will level off I hope it will level off um I do see people leaving our industry because they think the grass is greener on the other side yeah. but I think really good hairdressers want to be hairdressers and, and they will come back I think this thing of being so self-employed and, you know, working from home and all those sort of things that seem like opportunities, actually the reality of it isn't, you know, yeah. isn't that great. So I think after, I don't know when, but hopefully I think a lot of people who have migrated out of the industry will come back. Yeah. And will come back into salon environment. Like it sounds great to say, right, I'll have a shed at home at the back of my garden and I'll, and I'll work from there from evermore. That's lonely. Yeah. That's isolating. Yeah. You know, we're social animals. We want to be in teams. So pe so people will, they will gravitate back. I think so. Mm. I think having worked freelance myself at times, it isn't, it isn't a peculiar to hairdressing. Um, I think that, you know, it, if you 
can take any comfort from that. It is happening across a lot of industries. And then having been through it myself, I think it takes a good 18 months for you to realise that being freelance and doing your own tax return and <laughs> remembering to put money aside for holidays and so on, actually, it takes 18 months for that to play through. So I think, yeah. which, is, which isn't helpful. So, but I think that there will come a point over the next 12 months when a lot of people will decide whether it's really for them or not. And also, um, you know, if I've worked in a salon and I've run a column, I haven't had to go out and look for the clients. Somebody else has brought the clients to me. Right. When I go freelance, I have to go looking for the clients myself. And I think that's what I hear from that sector. It's not actually as easy as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And I think if we marry that with most customers, yeah, okay. You know, when salons were shut, maybe it was a different situation. But I think now that salons are open, most people want a salon experience. Yeah. Yeah, you don't really want to tidy up because somebody's coming to your house or hang your head over your own sink. Um, no, you don't. So I think yeah. that's interesting. You, you, you'll do it when you have to, but if yeah. you have a choice, you won't want to. You want to go somewhere else. Yeah. Now, what about sort of flipping it slightly? Um, some of the reasons people say that they go and work for themselves is because they don't want to have to work three Saturdays out of four. They don't want to, to um, <coughs> they don't want to work in a salon. A structure that perhaps might have been in place for quite some time so there some people will perhaps um come back and say oh it's up to salons to evolve the way they treat their staff and the what they're offering do you see that and what how, where do you stand on that sort of comment i'm going to take it back a level okay and i maintain <laughs> <laughs> this is why when, when I sometimes when I go into salons I can see teams and they're not too happy to see me coming but actually my message is based on if you give me a job I have a column with my name at the top of it right says Liz yeah now if if I'm to be a financial asset to that business yeah I've got to take 100% ownership of my column 50 or 60% won't cut it right so pardon the pun but I've got so I've got to take 100% ownership of my column right now that means if a client comes in I, I have a choice I can see wash and blow dry I'll just do a wash and blow dry thanks very much take my tip and, and go and sit in the staff room and you know look at Facebook or I can say great here's a new client in for a wash and blow dry I'm going to make sure this client becomes mine it's going this client is going to want to come back to this salon they're going to yeah. want to come back to me yeah. into my column I will talk to them about the wash and blow dry, but I'll also talk to them about how they manage their hair at home. What products do they use at home? Um, I'll skin test them and make sure that I talk to them about colour. I'll suggest different cuts to them. I will form a relationship with this client. I will make sure that this client, before she stands up from my chair, will say to herself, I'm coming back here because nobody yep. has ever treated me this, this well. well before. Yep. And I'm in a really nice environment. And the atmosphere is really nice here and the cup of coffee I got was really nice and the biscuit was really nice and, and the whole experience was so pleasurable and I've got so much more value than what I'm paying for that wash and blow dry. And if this, you know, nice stylist says to me, you know, we've done your skin test here, you know, when would you like to come back to me? And that person has an assumption that they're so good that I want to come back and I understand what well, if they're so good and I want to come back with well, then I better leave with my next appointment. Right. Okay. Yeah. Now this column is motoring towards being um, towards being financially successful. I mentioned that my last salon was a small three rooms. It was a skincare salon. Um, 
my main my main staff just worked Monday to Friday, nine to five. And that was way before we ever had the Saturday issue, yeah. the late night issue. And my thing with them was if you want to work office hours here, you can do that. Yeah. But you must sell the time you have. Right. And I used to bring in teams then in the evenings and different people for the for the Saturdays. Um but I used to say to them, you can't have it every way. If you won't sell 11 o'clock at a on a Tuesday morning, then I'm going to move you to coming in at 12 and work until 9. Yeah. So, you know, figure it out and I'll help yeah. you with it as much as I can. So that's my experience of it. Like most salons would be are open 50 plus hours a week. We can't really ask anybody to work 50 right. plus hours a week. So if I can't, and I can't have it every way. So if I want to work three short days 12 hour days or whatever and i am seeing that trend um well then i need to fill those hours right and i think then we can sort of find a happy medium yeah but neither neither parties can have it every way yeah you know i can't have people sitting there not busy and if i'm if i'm the stylist well i can't come in and not be busy either so it comes down to productivity doesn't it yeah and selling my time and selling the home care and rebooking and running a financially sound column. Yeah. Now I can, if I'm doing that and I'm a financial asset to the business, well, that, well then I think I'm in a position to sort of negotiate my terms. But I'm a little bit worried when it's the other way around, when people are coming in telling owners what they will do, but we haven't seen the results. Right, yeah. And I think that's something that concerns me a, a little bit at the moment because I'm seeing um, salon owners understandably just giving what people are asking for because there's a shortage in the yeah. marketplace but I think we've got to change we've got to up that conversation a little bit yes I can certainly facilitate what you're looking for but this is what I need as well yeah to really <coughs> think it through is that a difficulty for business owners per se <coughs> who who want to perhaps pay forward the way they were treated so it makes change quite difficult it's like well when I was you know just starting I had to work six days a week and sweep the floor and make the coffee and just wash hair do you find that or is that gone yeah. now do you think people are a bit more no and I'm hearing that all the time and I think it's 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 a reasonable way to think and to feel but the world has changed yeah the labor market has changed people's expectations have changed it hasn't it hasn't leveled off yet I know certainly one observation of mine is that I remember when, you know, when I was starting out, I can remember my mother saying, if I had a job and I didn't like it, my mother was, would say to me, well, it's too bad about you. You have to stay there till you get another job because yeah. you have to have a job to get a job, which I never really understood, but mo was probably right at the time. It was, didn't look great to have gaps on your CV. Yeah. It, it reflected badly on you. And I, and I think that gap hasn't been fixed or changed or settled yet. Um, it, it's fine like if something doesn't suit somebody they will leave now yeah. and it's okay to have a gap yeah. on your CV and I, I, I think like you're saying there's probably another 12 to 18 months for all of that to just yeah, settle, settle back down. down but no I think owners have got to let go of the way it was yeah I think so my son I have a son in his 20s who's constantly saying to me mum stop bashing Generation Z you know you just got to get with the get with us now and yes. <laughs> head in hands but yeah yes. <laughs> yeah so I think um, I had noted here as a question, which we sort of covered a bit, but are there specific problems to hairdressing and beauty um, that, as opposed to other business types, is it really about being a service or do you think that there are specific things which people outside hair and beauty don't really understand or a difficulty? 
or, or well, your speciality? When I started coaching and training, first of all, I left the industry to practice the skill of being of being a coach. And so right. I worked in all sorts of other sectors and then came back into our industry. And one big difference that I would love to see changing is um, when I worked in other businesses and other industries, um, there's always a focus on the figures and on the numbers and on the productivity and on the sales. And people don't apologize for that. Right. I work with so many people in salons, teams, week in, week out, who are very busy, but not necessarily profitable. Right. Not necessarily as productive as they could possibly be. Um, I'm talking about team members now, you know, worried, you know, you know, the number of times as a customer that people have said to me, yeah, you definitely need that for home, but you're giving me enough money today. Yeah. That would never happen. Yeah, in, in, another, in, other, in other industries. <laughs> yeah. So there is a, you know, in order for businesses to survive and thrive, they need to be, there needs to be a focus on the numbers. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's something that stylists, therapists, ev- they need to learn it and understand how much money do I need to make to be here every single yeah. day. Um, and um, what the overheads are and what it's costing to have them there. Because I think there's a naivety <clears throat> sometimes about what it costs to make the salon available to them to come to work. Totally, yeah. And also... Um, the assumption, well, you know, this is what I'm getting paid, and once I bring in my my what I'm getting paid, then then that's enough, and and no, it's not, it's nowhere near yeah. enough. So definitely, I think that is something that there needs to be an acceptance of that it's okay for owners and managers to tell people what they expect from them, because the biggest feedback that I get from every team I sit team that I sit with mostly I will hear I wish he would just tell us what he expects from us I wish she would just tell us exactly what she wants us to do because they don't like it the teams do not like it when the owners and managers are stressed or in bad form yeah so when I say to them I normally work with teams from 10 till one or three hour slot you know in the morning and then I say well you will know by one o'clock today what's expected of you yeah so there has to be a greater financial understanding and I'm not saying that if I run a column that I need to know about profit and loss and balance sheets and things like that I don't but I need to know the financial potential that's in my column today right and yeah. I ne- and I need to work that yeah, yeah, and if somebody needs to teach me that because I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't come knowing how to do that. Yeah. But it's my observation that when I teach people how to do it and they understand it, then they will do it. And so that would be the, the I was going to ask you: Is there something that you keep coming back to that seems to be the common misconception or problem? So it would be that really is getting the team to understand where they fit into the business. Yes, really. yes, and how valuable they are to the business, and you know being busy isn't enough yeah yeah you need to go yeah more with that we've got to get to profitability right so you you made a reference to the book you'd written um the title of which was 30 days to success i call it 30 days to beauty business success and well you can read it in 30 days or you can take as long as you want um to use it but it's all it's full of it's got 30 chapters and it's full of all the operational content or information that you need from an operations perspective to run a good business and 30 days could make a difference 30 days can make a huge difference so you can actually affect change quite quickly once you understand what it is totally that you you want to do yes so we've talked about what the sort of disconnect perhaps is between the sort of the business owner and the teams on whatever scale 
what characteristics or skills might be the key things you would say a, business, a successful business owner would need? What are the, say, are there three or four attributes that you think, well, that you're going to be, you might have a long way to learn, but you'll be good at it because you are? Um, if I decide to learn a new skill, yeah, you know, if I decide to bring a new service into my salon, then I research that, then I will go and maybe try it out myself, then I will decide, I make a decision and I'll invest in whatever it is and then we all go on training and then we all go on continuous training for forevermore. Right. But if I decide to open a business, I need to bring the same formula to my business. Right. So okay. I need to allocate time to work on my business. Right. I need to learn how to run my business. Yeah. Okay. And um, so I kind of, even with, you know, the groups that I work with, business owners, I say, even if we can go to a, an 80-20 rule, even 80% working in my business, because most people that I meet who have businesses love working in their businesses and yeah. never say stop doing what you love. But could we allocate 20% to just working on my business? Right. To learn about running a business, yeah. to take what's in your head and take it out of your head and let's put it into a training manual. I always have to do that with the business owner. Instinctively, they know the customer service journey. That's how they've grown their business. Yeah. But they expect everybody else to just yeah. know it. To know it without the manual. With, without the yeah. manual. So we've got to learn the customer service. We've got to learn um, the financial implications and you know, interesting if I work with one salon owner and I know she went into her her um, her accountant a few years ago with two tubes of colour and she put them on, on his desk and, and she said, tell me how to use those. And he said, well, I'm an accountant, I'm not a stylist. How would I know how to use that colour? And she said back to him, well, precisely, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hairdresser. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want my business, then you've got to talk to me in hairdressing language so that I understand yeah. Yeah. the financial implications for my business so I think that's something that people can be understandably quite afraid of mm. but I think we need to know financially how our business works in language and that we understand that we can communicate with our team I think it's very important that people develop their leadership skills um, our industry has this after five years our industry does very well with staying open Right. Got a good good track record after five years, but within that first five years of a business opening in our industry, we have the second highest failure rate of all businesses. Really, sectors. that's the most precarious time. It's your first five your years. first five years, and the main reason for that are poor management skills. Right. So I've got if I want to, you know, have a team of people, then I've got to learn how to become a leader. I've got to learn how to manage other people, yeah. which is very very challenging. So exactly the same as if I take on a new service I've got to learn how to do that mm. but if I open up a business I've got to learn how to run a business and then I've got to commit the time to yeah. minding that business so I've yeah. got to mine my business and that's what my book is all about how to mine my business going forward yeah and I always find it's the business side of things that challenges people not the technical side yeah. because people are instinctively brilliant yeah. at that yeah yeah. And equally, not to then um, promote your team in a way that you, you know, the best hairdresser doesn't then become necessarily the best team leader. You know, you have to, you have to look at people's skills and help them develop. Again, you know, pay it, pay it down. So this, it's that interesting thing, isn't? Tomorrow I, I do a three-day um, management course. I start again tomorrow, 
and what you've just named there is is the biggest issue that I will have in in the room tomorrow. Really? People who are managers but who are struggling with it. And that will be, I know we'll spend the first hour, I shouldn't be given this way, but we'll spend <laughs> the first hour of, of the people who have, who have been promoted to being the manager. Yeah. Really perplexed as to why they're making the most money and why everybody else on their team isn't doing what they're that doing. Day, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how hard they have to work to make up for everybody else's shortfalls. Yeah. And... I have to say, you know, I, le I let them talk for about an hour and then I say, we're not going to stay here complaining about your teams for three days. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we have to Tempting stop. Tempting as it <laughs> might be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have to stop now and re and, and kind of reevaluate and figure out how do we teach everybody around you to do what you're doing because you have a successful column. Um, we now have to teach other people how to do the same. That's actually your job Yeah. as, as manager. And not, you know, and it's great that people try this out, but not everybody is able to do that, even with teaching them. And very often people will contact me and say, you know, Liz, I just want to go back and run my column. Yeah. So I say, okay, then, then we'll change. But yeah, I do see that happening an awful lot. I bet, and, and I say to the owner, why is so and so the manager? And they say, because she's, she or he is here the longest. So, like, why are they the manager? Because they're here the longest. But, but that doesn't necessarily I mean, mean that somebody. Is the it best choice is to the best choice or yeah. has the skill or wants to do it yeah and well i think that's key isn't it enjoying doing it it's tough what is it so what how would you explain the key differences between these sort of three roles if indeed you see them as different manager leader and trainer what are the what would be what makes a trainer a trainer and a manager a manager a trainer is teaching skill right and when I work with trainers with, with the brands, I rarely meet trainers who have the commercial awareness. Right, okay. And, you know, I'm trying to, say, you know, as you're teaching, say, new stockers to how to use a brand, could, could we also, you know, teach them how to sell it? And, and I get a bit of a, yeah. You know, well, I think I think that yeah. is again. It's very difficult, isn't it? Because especially if people work as educators or trainers within a, a bigger brand, they are quite removed from the experience of being in a salon. Perhaps they never even never did have it, you know. Yes. Um, and I think this idea that so if somebody's a technician, even that name implies they're not going to be commercially aware. You know, these beautiful processes and skills that they have and that they can teach. But how to then? We often do a lot of talk about don't we how to then distill the elements of that lovely new technique and skill to something that's commercially viable that's something that you can do in 45 minutes or an hour and a half or whatever you know to make it make it pay so if i bring that right back to the consumer sitting in the chair now this is a gap that i think for you know if, if businesses have to be want to be financially successful this gap has got to be closed there's no point in thinking that i the customer I'm going to sit here and know what I need. Right, yeah. <laughs> so that commercial awareness has to, has yeah. everybody has to have a certain level of understanding because I think, you know, most businesses, it's hard to say this, but a lot of the businesses that I work in, the money is just leaking out. Yeah. And we have to stop those financial bleeds. We have to stop those leaks. And that is, I think, the easiest way to stop that and prevent that happening is to stop waiting for the client to tell you 
what they need. Yeah. They don't know. They might not have an idea of the end result that they need, but they don't know how to get there. And I still I don't do that much of it, but I still do a little bit of mystery client shopping. Right. And I will always give people an opportunity to upsell to me three times. Yeah. In seven years, I bought one shampoo. Really? Yeah. So we've got, like, the trainers need to teach the operatives how to sell what they're training. Yeah, yeah. The manager needs to make sure that the that the stylist comes back and implements yeah. that and stop waiting on this thing. Because when I go back with my report and say to the team, but, you know, I asked you about, you know, styling products and, you know, you told me what you, you why didn't you sell it to me? Because I thought if you wanted it, you'd have asked for it. Yeah, yeah. People are so nervous. You know, it's been the same. I've been heading to 30 years in this industry mm. and it's the same conversation that we were having in the 90s is, you know, how do we get retail sold? How do we stop people feeling embarrassed about selling? How, you know, and it's just as simple as that. If you're giving them something they need and they probably want, is it really, it's not a hard sell. But it's not like going to the cereal section in the supermarket and knowing what breakfast cereal I like. Yeah. Like it's it's um it's not these are not self select products. Yeah. Your services are not self select. As the hairstylist, you're the expert. Yeah. So you've got to tell me what I need. Yeah. End of. I'll decide whether I want it or not. I'll decide whether I want to buy it. Um, but you've got to tell me what I want. Services yeah. and retail so that I'm not going away and spending yeah. my money someplace else. Yeah, so I think everybody needs to have a level of commercial awareness yeah. within their role and how that's implemented yeah. so that the end user gets the very best yeah. outcome. I'm sure there's still a lot of people who at some point during their service to the client, the client will say, what's that you're putting in mm -hmm. my hair? What's that you're using? Can I just ask what that was? Oh, they're, yeah. they're giving you the cue. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not so then the leader manager is is being a leader and a manager the same thing necessarily or not always um i think we overcomplicate things and i think we make some of this too hard basically in my you know in my small way of thinking about this a leader inspires and a manager motivates right now if i'm inspiring my team yeah my life is a lot easier and everybody wants an easier life yeah so if i can work on honing my leadership skills yeah. and that people want to achieve like we all want to achieve everything together well then that's much easier sometimes being the manager gets lost in which is very important like managing the stock managing opening and closing and the cleaning right, and yeah. all that sort of thing so that's day-to-day -day operations but if we're really leading the team to where this whole business can go it's far easier if you own every own your role totally yeah and you have a vision for yourself that that aligns with my vision for the business then together we can get there yeah yeah that's leading yeah. And the best leaders that I see don't do that much. Managers tend to kill themselves. Yeah. <laughs> but the best leaders inspire other people to do what, what they're really good at. Yeah. And yeah. I think if we can yeah, move from being managers to being team leaders, yeah. then I and then I think we, we'll we'll get a much better outcome. But that's how I see it. If I'm a leader, I'll inspire you to, to be the best that you can yeah. be. Um, if I'm a manager and you I'm can learn making that. you do things. And a manager can learn better leadership absolutely if the um if the want is there and the inherent ability is there 
um, unfortunately, sometimes I do have to say to owners, this is as good as it gets. I, you know, yeah, the, the, the skill isn't there. And, I, and I've taught management at university level for a few years outside of our industry. So I would consider myself to be sort of like a lifelong student in, uh, of management. And the conclusion I've come to about motivation and all that sort of thing is, you know, if I have to motivate somebody to get out of bed on time to look the part to have their hair looking nice to put on their makeup to come through the door with a smile on their face well for me that's just too hard that's mm. just far too hard but if I have somebody bouncing through the door who loves being in the salon loves the clients loves working with the team it's very easy to inspire that person yeah brilliant so yeah so that's the way I think of it leaders inspire and managers motivate I'd rather be an inspirational yeah example to my to my staff yeah providing I have people there who want to be there yeah and I think sometimes you need to have a th some of us do things by instinct you s but it's helpful perhaps sometimes to really be able to um, articulate it you know what what is it, your signature way of working what is it you're trying to achieve and to be a good leader you need to be able to perhaps share that explain it I think there's two sides to this. Right. Um, if if I have a column, if I wanted my own business, I'd have my own business. Right. And I remember being in a salon once where the manager said to the owner, the team had just left, and she said, please stop talking to me about your rent and your rates and your VAT. and That's not, none of my concern. Please just tell me what you want the team to achieve, and I will get them there. Yeah, I ju they just need to know what they need to know in order to be at yeah. their best. So, and this is why I say you need time to work not just in your business but on your business. Yeah. Because if I'm working on my business, I will take time to find out what's important in each person's world. Right. So I have my big plans for my business. I know where I want to take my business. I have my vision for my business. I probably saw a gap in the market locally or wherever that made me decide there's a gap here and I'm going to open that up. So I have my vision for my business. But everybody has their goals for themselves. So if I find out, not that I want to know anything that personal or, you know, intrusive, I don't, but if I find out what's important in your world, yeah, what are your goals? What do you want to achieve for yourself this year? And if I can align your goals with the vision for my business and together we go forward, then there's nothing we can't achieve together. Yeah. But if I want you to just buy into the vision for my business because I want to buy a brand new car this year, then all I'm going to do is, is cause resentment between the two of us. Right. But if I know your big goal is to, well, even for example, um, take your children on a holiday this year. Yeah. And... If we work out a commission structure and I open up a little bit, we have a little account for you and I will save your commission every week from your retail and we work out how many products do you need to sell per day and per week to have yeah. the money, then together we, yeah. we will get there. That, yeah, it's relatable, yeah. it's understanding. How important are um, having good technology skills? Because I think sometimes that bothers people, perhaps it's an older person's problem I don't know but this idea I know you are you have an app you have embraced technology yeah. to some degree and in the last three years we've all had to now we all know how to zoom even if we hate doing it um but it's, how important is it that people move with the times with technology whether it's social media or whether it's literally the use of programs and do you find that's an issue for people yes 
And, um, yeah, and I've really battled with it, really, really battled with it myself because it's, it's just not my thing. But I've had to accept that we are very much in a digital revolution yeah. and it's not going away. And it is the way of the world. So so we do have to learn it. But again, when I'm dealing with people, I know the outcome that I want to achieve. But I have to say to people, I have to talk to me in English here. Yeah. <laughs> you have to accept yeah. that I really don't know what we're talking about. So yeah. just use very plain and simple words. And I actually speak a lot with the with the software companies and, and I ask the software companies, I invite them into my classroom and, and, I, and I say, please, you know, I've got your stockists in the room, tell them how to use their system. They don't know how to use it. Yeah. Sometimes that feedback doesn't go down that well. And I think the starting point for that is that we need to get over the fear of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's the fear of technology and also, you know, when I'm working with people, you know, you know, who might be in the industry, but, you know, have access, to, you know, they're sitting at computers all day, every day. I think we've got to remember that, you know, the people that we work with are not. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, we've got to turn that to our advantage. And I think, again, it leaves us in a very, very, very unique position in our sector is that no computer can replace my hairdresser. Yeah. And, and we don't want it to. No. So I think it's taken that fear out of it, like you say. Yeah. Honestly, it took me years to believe my accountant who was trying to get me to use my accounting system, Zero, yeah. to do my invoices because I liked to, mm. you know, do them all individually and print them out and yeah. then scan them and keep a backup copy. And now I think, what was I doing for all that time? <laughs> yeah. You know, I could literally, in a, in a nanosecond, have something sorted that was taking me seriously 10 mm. minutes per invoice. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I yeah. think I'm quite good with media. Um, <laughs> so... What would be, we're coming to the end of our time together, what might be, if I say, Liz, what would be the biggest takeaway that somebody listening, whether they are working on their own or in a micro business with maybe two or three people or whether they're in a big company, what's the, the one takeaway that you might say, you know, having listened to us chat for half an hour, I really hope you get this message. I start my, I keep talking about my book this morning, I've, I've been <laughs> sent you a copy. I start my book with do everything you can to make sure your client leaves happy, is looking forward to coming back and is happy to recommend you. Right. Now, it doesn't matter what, you know, what category of the industry that we're in, but if my customer is happy leaving, um, then they're going to want to feel like that again, aren't they? So they're going yeah. to want more of it, so they want, want to come back for that and then happy to recommend me because then I'm going to have a pipeline of new business coming. So yeah. they, are, they are my three most important things. Do everything you can to make sure that your customer is happy. And then number two, they're looking forward to, to coming back to avail of more yeah. of whatever it is you're selling and that they're happy to recommend you. Yeah. Now, if I know I can tick those three boxes, then I can sleep at night time and say there was nothing more I could have done for my customers today. Right. Brilliant. And on a very personal note, your your sort of brand, your style of of um, business coaching mm -hmm. and, and management, what I, we ask all our guests this now, what three words do you like to be associated with the way you are in a, in a professional world? What are the sort of three Liz McKeown signature uh, well, adjectives? <laughs> <laughs> well, I always feel um, 
very humbled at the end of, of I do a lot of workshops at the end of courses when I get um we might ask people to fill out feedback sheets so the word inspirational always comes up the word motivational and I'm not scary oh <laughs> <laughs> two words but we'll hyphenate yeah. it to make one not scary <laughs> inspirational and motivational thank you so much it's been a real pleasure oh, I really hope too. everyone listening has has learned a lot I know I have thank you thank you Thank you to my guest, Liz McEwen. I found that really interesting and I hope that there's something in there that you can take away from the conversation too. If you like what you heard, do jump onto our website, respectyou.me, and look up the show notes that Liz has left with us. It will also give you pointers on where to find out more about her and what she does. We have a library of great hairdressing conversations on our platform, Respectfully, which you can find on Spotify or iTunes. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us as it helps drive us up the charts and make hairdressing conversations easier to find. Until next time, goodbye.